0: Edward takes it even more Protestant and then Mary tries to slingshot it back and in the process of all those persecutions it strengthened believers in England to say This is so important to us and this is so critical and this is so vital that people are willing to die for it There must be something real to that and people hung on to that Protestantism Mm -hmm. and then when Elizabeth came to the throne it just right exploded
1: I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Over the length of our show, we often come together to talk about church history. It's one of our favorite subjects the the postscript. Uh, last time we came together, uh, we were discussing Henry VIII, King of England from 1509 to 1547, and his incessant pursuit of having a male heir. He went through six wives. Uh, one of those wives provided him a son. We'll talk about that today. But in his obsession, uh, all of these marriages and, um, and all of the contention that came out of that resulted in severing ties between England and the church in Rome and ultimately led to the establishment of the Church of England. Today, we are going to continue on our journey by talking about Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth, uh, two rulers with completely different approaches to rulership and to leadership, and also completely different religious views. And so for our ongoing conversation about church history, uh, we want to once again introduce you to Pastor and Professor Greg Axe, author of Church History, A Biblical Perspective, right here. And uh, this book is the book that we use to guide us through the course in the Bible Institute called Church History. Uh, But with all that said, Greg, welcome back to the show.
0: Always good to be here. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: I love talking about history. I love hanging out with you. We always hear from people... Um, when when is the next history episode coming out? Yeah, and everybody's got their favorite flavor, on, uh-huh. you know, because we do so much on the show. We talk right. about so many different things. We've got the guys who really are looking for the Bible study and the theology, like they they enjoy those in depth dives. Mm-hmm. But then we have people who really love hearing stories about missionaries and mm-hmm. all those things. But there is a there's a contention that those those true nerds, yes, uh, those history buffs. Yes. That love when we come together and,
0: and, yeah. and talk about and I, church history. And I always want to try to make it as uh, practical as possible and as simple as possible so we can wrap our heads around mm-hmm. it, uh, because the, the the problem we had in history, I hated history when I was growing up in school, because we were always inundated with a bunch of facts and figures and names and dates, and we had to memorize all those kind of things. It was just as boring as toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that you get Bible insight and perspective behind it, it just unlocks what has happened in history to get us to where we are yeah. today.
1: And I think that's what people really love about your class. Yeah. I think that's what people really love about the book. It's easy to read. It's kind of got a conversational tone. There's mm-hmm. there's humor in it. And, uh, and people really enjoy it. But also the assessments in our class are written for people to... Uh, conceptualize and apply what they're learning versus like the tests that we took when we were kids were memorizations of dates and geography and, and definitions and things like that. There's less of that in the course and there's more... Uh, just gathering and learning and analyzing concepts that come out of history. How does that
0: affect me today? Right. Uh, The fact that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, or Martin Luther tacked his thesis on October 31st of 1517, Mm -hmm. or Henry divorces Catherine of Aragon in 1532. Who cares? Right. But how does that apply to me today? Yeah. How can I glean principle from that and— and and see what 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 is what I can do with it today. For sure, as we get into our episode today,
1: could you help us by recapping uh, what we learned in the last episode when we talked about Henry the Eighth and and all of his wives and and the breaking from from the Church of England and, and the implications of that? Just catch us up to speed so we know where we're at right now. The
0: basic summary: Henry the VII, Henry the father, had two sons, Arthur. And Henry, Arthur was the oldest. he was married to Catherine of Aragon, the daughter of Ferdinand and Elizabeth or Ferdinand and Isabella, king of Spain mm-hmm. um, political marriages to keep countries from attacking each other right uh, keep royal bloodlines intact if you want if you will mm-hmm. um, Arthur died. Uh, Henry was a young man at that uh, point in time, and the marriage to Catherine is now in suspect because Arthur's dead um, there was a law in the Catholic Church that a man could not marry his sister-in-law it's not necessarily a biblical law but it was a Catholic law the the King uh, Henry the seventh and Henry uh, on behalf of his son Henry the eighth appealed to the Catholic Church to get an exemption from that law so that Henry could marry Catherine and keep that Relationship together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pope granted that exemption. Uh, Henry then grows up a little bit more. They get married. They're trying to have children. Henry wants a son, can't produce a son. Uh, he has a daughter, Mary, through Catherine. Mm-hmm. Um, and after 15 years of this, he finally has had enough. And he petitions the Pope again to annul or diso- disallow that marriage. Uh, saying, well, you know, she was my sister-in-law, so it was against Catholic law, so I I want you to annul the marriage. The Pope denied that request because it would anger Spain. It's a political, it's Mm -hmm. all political. Um, Henry said, well, I'll show you, and he broke from the Catholic Church, this is the nutshell of it, uh, and and set up the Church of England and made himself the supreme ruler of the church. Mm. So basically, you've got Roman Catholicism, and then you got English Catholicism called the Anglican Church. And Henry declares himself the Pope. Now, he didn't use that term, but he's basically the Pope of the Catholic of the English Anglican Church. Then he appoints a uh, archbishop to grant him his divorce and then has five more wives after that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he has three children, Mary through Catherine, the Spain the, uh, of, of Spain, and mm-hmm. um, Elizabeth with Anne Boleyn, and then Edward with Jane Seymour, his third wife. His mm-hmm. fourth, fifth, and sixth wives didn't have any, didn't bury many children. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, what that leads us to is that in 1547, mm-hmm. uh, Henry dies. Right. And his youngest, Edward, is um, the, the male that he wanted, Right. right. And so, and so Edward very naturally uh, takes the throne, but Edward is only nine years old at the time. Tell us a little bit about Edward's rulership.
0: Nine years old, you'd be more inclined to be playing with a toy truck than you would be to leading a nation right. uh, sitting in the Oval Office. Yeah, yeah. Okay? just put it in context that we would understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but Edward had um, Protestant family around him. Um, and they, again as we talked about in the last episode, Henry's reign after the break with Rome in 1532, yet another 15 years of reigning, goes in this whips off uh, back and forth between Catholicism and Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Henry starts allowing a lot of Protestant things in simply because of the fact that it angered Rome. Mm-hmm. Anything that angers Rome is, is good with me. right? Henry didn't agree to any of it. He didn't like any of it. He, in fact, persecuted uh, and and executed William Tyndale right. for Protestant views and for publishing the Bible. Um, so he was staunchly anti-Protestant, but he allowed a lot of Protestant things to happen because simply because he hated Rome more than he hated Protestants. Yeah.
1: But it it unintentionally created an environment where there was a freedom of expression Mm -hmm. and people were allowed to begin to discuss their theological views a little more openly.
0: Yes. And people started getting the word of God in their own language and in their own eyes, and they could Mm -hmm. actually go to church and see a Bible and read it and hear it read for themselves. Thomas Cranmer was appointed as the Archbishop of Canterbury, the leader of the church from a religious standpoint. He was—had— he was Protestant, and so he started putting a lot of Protestant things into the um, church services mm-hmm. and the liturgy and the various things where people are starting to learn the Bible yeah, rather de- than he, Catholic he, theology. He, he, he
1: created devotionals and prayer mm-hmm. prayer books yes. for people. Um, yes, and there are uh, things that he wrote, um, the standard for marriage vows, mm-hmm. which we still use even today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he,
0: he was he was a key figure at yeah. that time. As well. well, like you said, Edward comes to the throne when he's nine years old. So <clears throat> um, it, when that happens, he's the figurehead king, but he's got people behind him that are advising him and, and actually running uh, a lot of the governmental type of things that, that would happen at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. And he had a Protestant uncle who would uh, guide him in Protestantism and, um, Henry had passed what were called the Six Articles of Faith during his uh, tenure. Yeah. After he broke from Rome and established the Church of England and made himself the head, um, there was a Act of Supremacy uh, passed in England two years after the divorce and the break with Rome that established Henry as the Pope or the leader, the head of the the, the sole supreme head of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. And six articles of faith were attached to that. Those six articles of faith were as Catholic as anything Catholic right. has ever been. Yeah. They were reaffirmed Catholic ideas, but for the Church of England. Exactly, okay. So Edward comes to the throne. He, one of the very first things that he did under the leadership of his Protestant family was to repeal Henry's six articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he replaced them with another act of not an act of supremacy, but a, an act of uniformity, mm-hmm. uh, where the the churches of England were to operate under a generally uniform manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that act of uniformity was actually authored by Thomas Cranmer, mm. who was Protestant. They replaced the six articles with 42 articles of faith, and those 42 articles of faith would be very close to what we would understand as a doctrinal statement that we, we would agree to for pretty much most of it, mm-hmm. okay? Um, the Bible was the sole authority and those kind of things. that You know, salvation is by grace and in, in, through Christ, and yeah. sacraments are not necessary those kind of things um, were part of the 42 articles another thing that was done during this time was very critical was one of the articles of faith had to do with what language the church services were in Mm -hmm. up to this point in time church services were always in latin As that was the language of the learned and the language of the church the common people didn't speak that right and so you would sit in church and you would hear this all this latin stuff you didn't understand what they were saying but it didn't matter because you were there worshiping god mm-hmm. okay and you you would people, and this is the system of Catholicism, where you take your spiritual life and you give it to the priest or the church and you say, okay, well, you guys are going to, you'll be my agent before God. Right. Um, I I, I don't need any relationship with God. You guys take care of it for me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sitting in church and they're doing this Latin stuff to appease the gods, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Edward said, no, we're going to put the church services into the common tongue. So the church services were to be done then in English. Yeah. And then and it now, begins to have value for learning. Yeah. Now you go to church and you're hearing something that you can understand because it's in your language. And Cranmer has inserted a lot of Protestant things in there. They're reading the Bible during church. Uh, one of the ways that the church services were run under Edward's reign was that they read through the book of Psalms every Three months, I think, or something like Mm. that. A month or three months, whatever it was. So the people are actually reading the Bible in the church services rather Mm -hmm. than just spouting theology from Rome that is written by Rome. Right. And so this is opening people's eyes and understanding to the word of God in massive ways. Henry breaks from Rome and allows Protestant things in there just to tick off Rome, but he's just Roman as Roman can, can sure. ever be. Yeah, Edward runs it a lot more. Pro- he just basically rejects pretty much everything his dad um, had theologically and sets up a, a, a Protestant or a Bible-based mm-hmm. church in England. Yeah. So in just really five or six short
1: years, yeah. he makes a huge impact on the culture of the church. Very much, and it, it was very valuable. That that reign was very short, and he he ends up dying of. A, a, people call it the sweats, um, yeah. but it was a, a disease that was going around. Another plague, another you know illness mm-hmm. uh, that he picked up and died very suddenly. Yes, um, which was clearly. Um, you know, met the objectives that Satan had, mm-hmm. right? So this begins to set up the reign of Queen Mary. Yes. Which, uh, you know, Mary uh, Tudor, uh, daughter of Catherine, and she's 37 at the time. She's the oldest sibling. Right. And so when she takes power, she's, she's quite a bit older. Um, tell us about her reign and, and about how she tried to reverse everything that Edward and Henry had established. How, how does she try to undermine all... All of these changes that had begun to take place.
0: Well, this is again, if you back up from uh, from the details and look at the overview, and understand that the first principle of history is that it's a chess match between God and Satan. That um, God starts prying the fingers off of Roman c- control through Henry, through a guy that is no more biblical than than any of the popes were, mm-hmm. uh, and he begins to pry that off. Um, because of the conflict that takes place there. Then when Henry dies, it goes this direction. And with 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 Edward, with all the great things that he did, where he closed a bunch of monasteries, uh, Catholic monasteries, he allowed priests to be married. Mm-hmm. He just did away with pretty right. much all of that. Yeah, yeah. And it's going in that direction. And whenever it goes in that direction, Satan never gives up. Mm-hmm. Okay, this yeah. is... He he's going to go down in flames. He knows he's defeated, but he's never going to give up. Mm-hmm. So he he whipsaws it back. The succession plan that Henry set up before he died was Edward first because he had to have a son. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mary was second because she was the oldest and she was the the daughter of Catherine of Aragon. Right. Uh, who he loved her, he only divorced her, mm-hmm. okay? Third was Elizabeth, and he relented on that later in his life because he had initially written her completely right. out of any succession yeah. plan at all. Uh, but he, she was his daughter, so he said, okay, if it gets to that point, she could be third um, in the list, right. even though I hated her mother so much I had her beheaded, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so that was the succession plan. Obviously, Hen- Edward gets the throne when he dies. Mary is legally, according to law, she's next in line, and she gets on that throne. Well, they toast a drink to her every down at the down at all the bars with um, <laughs> tomato juice and vodka. Right? What do <laughs> yeah. we call it? Yeah, Bloody Mary's. Bloody Mary. Yeah. Okay? There was a reason why she was named that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary, was the Jezebel, Athaliah of the New Testament, to put it in biblical term for yeah. us. Yeah. If you're familiar with those stories in the Bible, maybe you're not. Uh, Jezebel was married to Ahab, the king uh, of Israel, and she was wicked, vicious, yeah, hateful woman who yeah, she's monstrous. Uh, yeah. And then Athaliah was a queen of the only monarch that Israel had that was not a king. Uh, Athaliah usurped the throne for a period of six years um, in, during the reign of the kings. In, in, we're talking about in the northern kingdom of, the, of, of Israel. And she tried to eliminate all the seed royal. She tried to eliminate all the children of uh, of to to keep her, Mm -hmm. she missed one because God Mm -hmm. was preserving the line. Uh, So Athaliah killed all these innocent children. Guess what Mary did? She came along and killed a bunch of people as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why she was called Bloody Mary because of the persecutions. So here's Edward taking it in a Protestant direction and he dies and Mary takes it and just whipsaws it back the other direction instantly into... Bloody persecutions against right. anyone holding Protestant views. Now, at the
1: at this time, we've, we mentioned this previously uh, that Spain was solely devoted to the Catholic Church. Yes. The the allegiance there was very um, in depth, as it is t- today. You Still know? is today. Yeah. and and so um, this is where this is where Catherine's um, allegiance was, mm-hmm. and so. Mary, like her mother, um, is very much connected to the Catholic Church and to Spain. And so she marries Philip with the intention of renewing that connection to
0: Spain. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Again, political marriages. Mm -hmm. So if I am the king of England... um, or the king of Spain, and I give my son to marry the daughter of the queen of England or whatever. Now, now we have a family relationship. We're not going to attack each other. And that was done um, simply to try to bring England back underneath the dominance of the Catholic church. And that's what Mary tried to do as well. So you have the political uh, marriage to Philip, the king of Spain. um, and, And, and Mary starts in with her opposition to anything Protestant. Okay, mm-hmm. she had uh, Thomas Cranmer arrested, and then he, um, he, he recanted his faith, and then recanted his recantation. Yeah, that's, a,
1: that's actually a really interesting story. Yeah, um, hit, hit on that a little bit. Tell yeah. us about how that went down.
0: She had him arrested, right, uh, for treason and whatever you know, for anti-Catholic views mm-hmm. and everything. She's bringing, she's trying to bring the whole thing back underneath the dominion of Rome and cranmer signed a document that said she said i'll let you live if if you'll sign this document he signed Mm -hmm. this document that recanted his protestant faith yeah well first of all bloody mary was after blood yeah so you can sign all things you want i'm still going to get rid of you Mm -hmm. um she didn't keep her end of the bargain for one and for two Thomas Cranmer was convicted about the fact that he denied his Lord. So it's like, nah, I'm I'm not going to do that. So they rearrested him again. uh, And this time in his trial, he stood up in it and he said, you know, this is I'm affirming my faith in the lord jesus christ as my savior and the biblical authority that and all this kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. they had the fire set up for him and when he got out there to the fire he took his right hand he stuck it into the fire and he burned it and he said this is the hand that offended my lord and he had his right hand burned in the fire before he stepped into it himself incredible yeah um
1: but speaks to the power of the conviction yes and also to the severity of the mission in his mind, mm-hmm. you hear a testimony like that, and yes. you think, "Man, where are the Christians like that today?" I know. You know, uh, they're they're there. You know, yes. there there are uh, places all over the world where there's that kind of persecution taking place even today, and there are people who refuse uh, to denounce the name of Christ right. or to to set down their Bibles, mm-hmm. and so they faced, a lot of them face death. Yeah. Um, but, but when you hear a testimony like Thomas Cramer's, it's,
0: uh, it's compelling. It's a very moving story. And he was not the only one. Right. There were hundreds of Bible believers and pastors and teachers who were arrested and tried and convicted and yeah. burned at the stake for what they believed. Many of them fled at this time to to Europe as well. John Calvin was still alive during this time in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, a lot of them fled to that area and found refuge there because that was a Protestant controlled area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of them did not um, and, or could not. Mm-hmm. And Mary was set for blood and she just lit the fires in England and, and 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 again, persecution makes God's people stronger. Mm. Not that we want it. Not that anybody desires it. Not that anybody enjoys it. But typically speaking, that's a biblical principle. Um, you get the children of Israel down there in Egypt and uh, Pharaoh's oppressing them. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's just a Bible principle. It's a refining work. Yes. So when Mary starts burning people at the stake... Um, The populace and everybody around is looking at this going, there are people who are willing to die, not just peacefully in in the most horrible way you can possibly imagine, of being burned to death. People are willing to give their lives for this Bible. There Mm -hmm. must be something there. Yeah.
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible
2: Institute. Hi, my name is John Scott. I go to Northside Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm an LFBI student. LFBI is spectacular. It's an institute that is taught by pastors as opposed to professors, people who are actually in the ministry with their feet on the ground in the dirt, making disciples, evangelizing and actually loving people. And it's the best resource out there for any sort of Bible teaching. In my life, I've used many of the classes. One in particular is the evangelism class. After going through the course, I was able to transform by God's grace the whole method and in the, in the whole process of the Bible study where it is more evangelistic. And we're able to actually reach out to people and then actually study the Bible together. It's something so simple. But man, it's it's because of LFBI that that changed. Now now we're able to plug that into an evangelistic ministry that we have out of our church. So I couldn't recommend LFBI more. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI,
1: please visit lfbi.org/support. They got a taste of 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 freedom in God's word. Yes. And they weren't letting go. No it was just enough time for it to settle in and begin to really affect and change a generation of people. Mm-hmm. And so when the persecution came, they were prepared. Uh, there was a, a man named John Fox um, mm-hmm. who was exiled during this time period who ended up writing uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which right. is an account uh, of a lot of this persecution and, and these martyrdoms, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what he wrote and why that writing is
0: so significant, even to us today? Yeah. You know, he goes all the way back to the very beginning. Fox's Book of Martyrs is one of the most—it's it, it, a book that everybody should have in their library, mm-hmm. um, and it's banned by the Catholic Church <laughs> for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. and it was actually the first book that was banned beside the Bible. Uh, by the Catholic Church in the Council of Trent. Uh, But it's an accounting of many of the persecutions and sufferings that people endured simply for the name of Christ. And this is one of the things that just common, simple, normal thinking people have a problem wrapping their head around. Mm Mm-hmm. We're not talking about people who break the law in stealing and raping and murder and those kind of things. We're talking about somebody who simply believes Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And they're supposed to die as a result of that. Someone has given themselves the right to execute another human being simply because they believe something different than you believe. Hmm. And they're acting upon that belief by being honest and hardworking, and decent, and moral, and full of faith, and and that is cause and reason to put somebody to death, and not just to put them to death simply, easily, but in vicious, and torturous, and cruel, and inhumane manners, where other people are invited to watch this mm-hmm. as a spectacle, how do... Normal human beings wrap their – how do you, How does somebody come to the point of thinking that that's normal mm. and that's acceptable? Uh, and so the first – Bloody Mary t- carries this out trying to bring England back under ca- under Catholicism. The first man she arrested was John Rogers who was the he, – he published the Matthews Bible under a pseudonym mm-hmm. to kind of hide it from what was going on. At that, at that time, and she arrested him and put him to death. And there were hundreds after, um, after him who refused to recant their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and stepped into his presence through cruel and vicious mm-hmm. and inhumane um, uh, ways. And for five years, she ran England, and Bloody Mary was was a good moniker for her.
1: Yeah. And in this time, she was also protecting the throne from her sister. And so she has Elizabeth who's living in the countryside mm-hmm. who it has no, you know, from what we can tell, no concerns with the government or, or power. Um, she's just living her life. Right. Uh, she chooses to, to have her arrested. Yes. And uh, in order to suppress her and, and keep her from the throne, Maybe explain that and then explain how she was eventually made free and why.
0: Elizabeth was uh, taken to the uh, um, captured, put under house arrest in London. Um, And God just stepped in and protected her Mm -hmm. so that she didn't get caught into this execution as well. It's just one of those things where... You know, at some point in time, God stepped up and said, not just, no, I'm not going to, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get rid of this. This way, She was mm-hmm. accused of treason and those kinds of, because right. she held Protestant view, right. right? So Mary's mother was Catherine of, of Spain, and so she was raised in Catholicism. Elizabeth's mother was Anne Boleyn, mm-hmm. who was Protestant, so she's raised in Protestantism. Mm-hmm. And so that conflict creates an, a, a reason for... Um, Mary to arrest Elizabeth and hold her at Tower Hill until she just got she got released. She, I'm sure she wanted to, but she was just restrained from doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting the depictions and the the
1: historical accounts uh, of why her reasoning they do vary. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to really know to put your finger on it right. because it would have been very convenient for uh, for Mary to do it. Uh, the fact that Mary struggled to have kids herself put mm-hmm. a quandary on the household of the Tudors, right? And so obviously that played a part that, that Mary actually couldn't produce an, an heir herself, and so maybe that had something to do with her preserving Elizabeth's life.
0: Yeah, could be a number of reasons why why that would happen, mm-hmm. but Elizabeth's life was preserved through that time. But it was it was horrible.
1: Tell us about um, her uh, Mary's eventual death, and. Um, and her failure to have children and, and then how that produced um, Elizabeth as queen.
0: Elizabeth becomes the third on the, was the third in Henry's succession. Mm-hmm. So without a uh, um, descendant from Edward who died young or Mary who didn't have children, then Elizabeth is legally mm-hmm. entitled to the throne and and she gets the throne as a result.
1: Tell us about the the, the 45 year reign of Queen Elizabeth and um and what that was like.
0: Okay, using another biblical character story, we I, I mentioned that Mary was like the Jezebel or Athaliah of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an Old Testament woman as well that Elizabeth represents perfectly, and she is the Esther of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, Esther, the story of Esther, basically you come down to Esther chapter four, where it says, who knows you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And God placed Esther at the throne with Ahasuerus for just the time period to preserve the nation of Israel during that persecution of Haman and during that time. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth comes to the throne for such a time as this. Yeah. And 45 years, Elizabeth I is one of the most um, remarkable and able monarchs in the history of humanity. And God used that woman. Uh, mightily uh, in her biblical view. Uh, She was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she obviously, Edwards taking it in a Protestant direction. Mary slingshots it back to Catholicism. Esther, or (laughs) I say Esther, Elizabeth turns it completely back to Mm -hmm. um, Protestantism and turns it in that direction as well. One of the very first things that she did was in uh, a year after she took the throne, she passed what is called the Act of Supremacy. Now, let, let me su- go back and summarize a couple of these things. When Henry broke from, ch- from, from Rome and established the English Anglican Church, he passed an Act of Supremacy, which made him the ruler of the church, mm-hmm. basically the Pope of England. Right. Um, that continued through his reign, Edward took it the other direction. Mary took it this direction. When Elizabeth got back on the throne, um, she passed very shortly after that an act of supremacy that was a little different than than the, her father's. Originally, yeah. Her father's made the monarch the head of the church. Elizabeth's act of supremacy said the church has a role the government has a role i am the head of the government but the church is to be run by the church mm-hmm. and so uh, i look at it this way constantine we roll back in yeah, history yeah way back he married the church in the state and formed it into this one conglomerate thing that god never intended for it to happen right. where the church is the political ruler of the world and now the church enforces its law at the expense of the Bible and starts Mm -hmm. executing people. So that was the marriage of church and state that happened under Constantine. Um, Elizabeth filed the divorce papers. Yeah. That was her act of supremacy. Right. And she said, no, the monarchy is this, and that's the political aspect. The church is over here, that's the spiritual aspect. Mm-hmm. And although there was, there was still a very tight and close relationship between them under England, because it takes time to unravel those things, that was the basic divorce papers being mm-hmm. filed. You guys run the church, we'll run the government, and, and, and leave it at that. So she passed, she had parliament pass 39 articles of faith. And those 39 articles of faith, aside from some Calvinism that's woven into it, would be as close to our biblical statement of faith as just about anything you would ever read.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, with Protestantism comes a lot of those uh, reformers' ideas about Mm -hmm. determinism and things that we would disagree with. But but overall, what we see is at least a, a large step, a large stride towards... Um, uh, biblical doctrine um, yes. held to and agreed upon um, as the cu- as the cultural standing mm-hmm. for the for the church or the, for England, but for the Church of England in particular.
0: Yes, salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The mm-hmm. Bible is the authority, not the government. Um, those kind of basic principles of, um, you know, baptism is for believers in Jesus Christ, not for infants. Sacraments are of no spiritual value. Mm. Uh, Those kind of theological tenets of what we would call independent Bible-believing fundamental churches were inbred into those 39 articles of faith, and that's where um, the theology of Uh, of protestantism then took over uh england at that time you recall that henry allowed some protestant things in there just to mess with rome Mm -hmm. okay edward takes it even more protestant and then mary tries to slingshot it back and in the process of all those persecutions it strengthened believers in england to say this is so important to us, and this is so critical, and this is so vi- uh, vital that people are willing to die for it. There must be something real to that, and people hung on to that Protestantism. Mm-hmm. And then when Elizabeth came to the throne, it just boom, right exploded. And
1: and really, she stood for the most part unopposed. Um, yes, she, there was a lot of support, particularly from the people. She oh, was she yes. was really well received by the kingdom itself. Yes. Um, there were some clergy, obviously, they, you know, the clergy in England at the time were kind of going back and forth between, uh, you know, a Catholic uh, dominion versus mm-hmm. a more Protestant Church of England right. approach. And so they're kind of caught in the, in the mix. Mm-hmm. And so there's some fallout there. But for the most part, people love uh, Elizabeth the I. She yes. is uh, still beloved even to
0: today. To this day, it's called Good Queen Bess and Elizabeth the first and Elizabeth II that just passed away mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago uh, both of them were were just greatly beloved by the people, and both of them reigned for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth II got what sixty-seven years or something like that. Right, uh, the longest reigning monarch I believe in history, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if, uh, if you
1: a, if you can use the term reign, yes, it's much different, than, much different when, when, today, when a, yeah, than Elizabeth's.
0: But Elizabeth I got forty-five years on the throne, mm-hmm. um, and God preserved her during that 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 whole time, despite. Some opposition from Rome. Rome um, excommunicated her and all of her followers, to right. which she said, Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Spain tried to attack. Rome prompted Philip of Spain to attack England in 1588. And this is that great. Story we're all familiar with, with the Spanish Armada. Mm -hmm. Uh, This great big massive army comes in to try to attack um, England. It is, if I recall correctly, the Spanish Armada was like 56,000 soldiers Mm -hmm. against 4,000 that England had. It was like um, 1,800 ships against 100. Um, They were, England was totally and completely outnumbered how many Bible stories do you read about Israel being completely and totally outnumbered and outmanned? Yeah. And God said, oh yeah, watch this. Mm -hmm. And in 1588, the Armada sails into uh, English Channel. They're going to defeat, uh, they're going to kill Elizabeth, bring England back under the dominion of, of Catholicism. And a, a <clears throat> few battles take place. The Spanish Armada was massive and huge, and these boats were bid And a lot of them were commercial ships that were converted to military ships, and so they mm. were big and huge. And the English boats were a little smaller and more nimble, and they got around and, and, and shot some things under the the, the bow and the belly and got a few of them mm-hmm. out. And Spain looked at that and said, well, you know, we're, we're suffering some defeats. We need to go back. And so they tried to sail around north of the top of, of England. And if you're if you just kind of get England in your head for a minute, picture it going around the north up there is the North Sea. And mm-hmm. it's got some turbulent weather in it. And on a very clear day out of nowhere, ha, here comes a storm and it sunk like 16 I th- I believe I'm not if I'm not mistaken there was like sixteen thousand men who died in that one storm wow. of Spain uh, several hundred of their boats were were um, destroyed and they limped back to Spain with their tail between their legs and Spain has never been a world power since mm. England then at that point in time is the navy that dominates and rules yeah. the world
1: yeah she builds the military might from, yes. from that point on. She commits a lot of energy to strengthening um, the naval power of Uh
0: England. Yes. And so, again, 45 years, one of the most able monarchs in the history of humanity, one of the great women of all time. Mm -hmm. The
1: things that she does ultimately
0: affect the way that
1: we even understand church in relation to uh, government power in terms of our ability to have religious freedom and separation, mm-hmm. all those things kind of rooted back into that time frame. So maybe explain and summarize some of those things for us.
0: The separation of church and state uh, has its origin with Queen Elizabeth I of of England, where, again, the act of supremacy that she filed in 1539, 1559, her first year in, on the throne, separates the church government operation the the operation of the church from the government itself and henry made himself the pope of the church uh, of the anglican church that the supreme ruler elizabeth said no the church runs the church i'll be the ruler of the government And that is the beginning of what you would call the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, we've taken this concept of church and state and we've run it completely off the rails and in the other extreme where we have separated God from society Mm -hmm. and that nothing biblical or nothing religious is tolerated whatsoever in any aspect of the government. And that's not what, what the separation of church and state is intended to be. The separation of church and state simply says this, the church runs the church. The state runs the state. Those are two separate entities. Mm-hmm. The government does not dictate to the church what it's supposed, what it what it believes or how it functions and operates, and the church does not dictate to the government what laws they're supposed to pass. Mm-hmm. So, Elizabeth is the is the monarch who began that uh, concept. It finds its ultimate. Um, fulfillment under thomas Jefferson and and um, uh, the guys here in the United States when they when they first got started in the colonies and how that separation of right. church and state found itself into our Constitution right but Elizabeth is the one who began that
1: tell us what we have to look forward to on the on the horizon of this walk through history what what comes just ahead
0: of this so we can prime
1: our listeners for for what's coming
0: Elizabeth died in sixteen o three. In 1604, the next year, um, King James of Scotland, uh, James VI of Scotland, becomes James I of England. He, He gets on the throne immediately after that. And the Puritan church petitioned James at that point in time for a standard translation of the Bible. What you had during this Reformation time, William Tyndale in 1560, 1526 produces the, the Tyndale New Testament, and that gets squelched because of opposition of Henry. Then you have the Matthews Bible in 1536, and you have the Coverdale Bibles in 1538, and the, the uh, Geneva Bible in 1560, which was actually during elizabeth's reign Mm -hmm. uh if you recall when bloody mary was on the throne a lot of these guys fled to uh, switzerland um rightfully so to preserve their lives and Mm -hmm. god used them in in geneva switzerland to uh, do another revision or update of the english bible in 1560 Mm -hmm. it's called the geneva bible and that was hugely popular right In 1568, the Bishop's Bible was produced because the leaders of the church didn't necessarily like everything that was in the Geneva Bible because it was way too Protestant for them. So some Mm. of the more staunch Anglican guys wanted theirs. So they did theirs in 1568 called the Bishop's Bible. Mm. So you've got all these different. Versions or editions of an English Bible floating around during this particular time, and they say some di- there, there, there's some differences. They're, they all come from the same line from Erasmus's text and those kind of things. But there's some differences in them. And as long as Elizabeth was on the throne, a queen, um, it just kind of sat there. Mm-hmm. As soon as a king came on the throne, where the word of a king is, there is power. Mm-hmm. God said, well, let's do this. And the, the, the Puritans petitioned King James for a, to take these and standardize the, uh, the Bible. And King James made it a national effort of all the churches. And so from 1604 to 1611, the work of the King James Bible was done. It was published in 1611. So it's Elizabeth, actually, we owe a, we, we have the name King James on our Bible. But we mo- we owe ten thousand times more credit to Elizabeth mm-hmm. for that book than we do to James. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, I can't wait for us to get into to that subject matter. Yeah. That's going to be so much fun for us to talk yeah. about. Obviously, yeah. and people can also look forward to a forthcoming book mm-hmm. um, that you and uh, Alan Shelby have been working on right. addressing the topic of the King James. We're working on editing that and. Mm-hmm and doing the layout for that book, even right now. So hopefully people should be able to expect that by the end of the year. Yeah. And um, it'll be a great counterpart to our conversation. Awesome. Uh, Greg. Thank you so much for hanging Appreciate out with us always. and and for for addressing this. And of course, we're going to have fun looking at, at more history yes. to come. Yeah. And we want to thank you as well for joining us for this episode of The Postscript. If you love these history episodes like so many of our other listeners do, uh, obviously you can go back and and listen to the back catalog of, of history episodes. If you go to YouTube, you'll find a uh, devoted folder or section uh completely to church history and you can go back and listen to all these episodes and and get caught up uh, but we want to encourage you to take Living Faith Bible Institute courses and and if uh, if you visit lfbi.org and you check out our program of study you'll see church history is one of uh, the classes that we offer it's one of the most popular classes that we offer many people want to learn about uh, how their faith is, Uh, has been affected uh, and effective throughout time. And so uh, check that out, Church History with with Pastor Greg Axe. Also check out his book, which is available on Amazon. It's a wonderful read, uh, chock full of all of this information, things that we've been talking about today, plus so much more. But we're grateful for your time. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity to talk about these things with you. We love you, and we can't wait to hang out with you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.